Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you for your ministry. That's it, man. It is all about Jesus. Yeah, we had people come here and say, you know, it was interesting, but you're always talking about Jesus and use the Bible a lot. Yeah. Okay. No matter where we're going to be in this book, it's about Jesus. Okay, so you can count on that. We rejoice in that. It's a great thing to have you here. Welcome home. How you doing? The kids are taking off. Do you know why? Well, A, because they're scared of me. B, because it's time for children's church. If you're age three through fifth grade, you want to go up there, you got the pierces. Does it get any better than that? I don't know. It's great. God bless you, man. I'll try to have you down here before too long. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, before we dive in, I have one thing. Um, this is a coveted opportunity. Uh, we send this around at the beginning uh, of every semester. This is the college lunch hosting sign-up sheet. Uh, we have some budget uh, that's provided by you all uh, to be able to feed the multitudinous number of college students who will be with us very, very shortly. We feed them lunch. Uh, if you want to pair up with another couple, if you think you can pull this off, we hey, beef, it's what's for college dinner or whatever. Uh, so we just, it's a great opportunity. It is a blessing and a ministry. I ask that uh, when I get this back at the end of the service, that it have lots of names uh, filling it out. Do not sign up for potluck Sunday. That's cheating. Uh, so we're going to start it around, make sure you get a hold of it. Uh, and if you sign up, it'll look like you're taking notes and that'll make me real pleased. So good morning. Welcome home. My name's Tom. I'm excited. We're jumping back into our act study. We had been, uh, on the flow money management series, which was about Jesus. And now we're on the acts. We're back to acts. It's acts 15. Not f chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, you can look under your seats in front of you. If you don't see one there, you can raise your hand. We got somebody back there who'll bring you one. If you don't have a Bible at home, we ask that you take this one with you. It's our gift to you and, uh, and that you use it. It's wonderful. Just a few things. We'll get to work. The passage that we're going to look at this morning it's going to be a great comfort to some of you, and it's going to be a great irritation to others of you. If it is a great comfort to you, God bless you. If it is a great irritation to you, you can let me know at my email. It is the letter mpatrick <laughs> at gmail.com. So um, that's what we're going to be doing. Growing up, growing up, there were certain types of sports that, uh, that I could never really get the hang of, wasn't particularly good at. Certain types of sports. This would be sports involving a ball or a puck, using a bat, a stick, a helmet, a glove, a mitt of any kind, or the types of sports that would involve balance or agility or speed or endurance. Those types of sports. Those particular ones I wasn't very good at. Was good at others, but not those particular ones. And because those particular ones are the ones that you tend to play in middle school PE, I was always the last one picked. The last one, go figure. 
And Mrs. Santos, my teacher, said, they're just saving the best for last. <laughs> Teachers lie. <laughs> I was broken. I didn't have what it took. And I knew it. I knew it. I was a loser. And losers are picked last. And it was just something I had to deal with. The good news is, Jesus doesn't pick teams that way. And we're going to take a look at that. This is going to be good news for some of you, difficult news to others. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to recap, because it's been five weeks since we've been in Acts. We're going to recap real quick, see what's going on. <coughs> I'll read the passage. We'll pray, and then we'll unpack it together and see what it meant then, see what it means to us now, and what God's Word has for us, okay? So, right now... Um, uh, let's see, Aaron, you have a, I'm going to try to do four chapters of Acts for you in four minutes or less to kind of bring you up to where we are. I'm not playing with the word of God. I'm just trying to get you there. Okay. The risen Jesus appears to his followers. There are about 120 of them, right? And he gives them a charge. He says, go to the ends of the earth, Go to the ends of the earth and share the good news that I want to set people free from Satan, sin, and death because I've taken your place on the cross for your sins and I've risen again. I want you to spread that news, but don't go yet. You have to wait. You have to wait because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you need the Holy Spirit because this is a Holy Spirit-sized goal to go to the ends of the earth. And good, thank you. Um, and so he says, don't go yet. So the church goes up to an attic, 120 of them. They're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And sure enough, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they are filled and there's a storm brewing inside. There's wind blowing, tongues of fire descending upon them and they're speaking in languages they have never learned. Okay, for me, that would be French. I took three years in high school, two years in college, still can't speak a word. I don't think French was part of what they were doing, but it might've been. So... It, it draws a crowd. There were Jews in for Pentecost from all the nations. And, and they hear the good news of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in their own language. And this draws a crowd more than like two women having a cat fight. There are tons of people coming around and they're hearing the good news. They're hearing about salvation. They're hearing about God who became flesh, who took our place on the cross for our sins, paid the penalty and rose again so that we might have life in him now and for all eternity. And, and 2,000 of them come to believe in Jesus and they give their hearts to him. And so the church is going berserk. They're growing. They're getting into the word. They're opening their homes to one another for food and prayer and more food. And they're breaking bread and they're sharing their possessions so that nobody in the early church has an unmet need. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. And then we cut to Peter and John and they're going to the temple. They're going to the temple. Why? Because they don't take summers off from church attendance. Okay, so they're going to the temple and who do they see? They see this old beggar guy who is paralyzed and he asks them for money so we can eat and they say, we don't have money, but we have something better. We have the power and the spirit and the healing that comes from the name of Jesus. And they said, get up, you're healed. And he not only gets up, he starts jumping around, he starts dancing, he starts leaping, he starts moonwalking, he's praising God, he can't believe it. He doesn't only keep outside on the temple 
patio. He goes inside the temple and he's jumping and he's praising God and all these people recognize him as the guy who used to be paralyzed. And Peter, Peter goes in and Peter never misses an opportunity to tell about Jesus. And so he tells the people, the same Jesus who healed this paralyzed guy's legs can heal your paralyzed heart. And, and it goes over huge. It goes over huge. And, and then the chief priests start getting really, really upset. And so they, because they see people rejoicing, having a good time in church, and apparently that's against the rules. And so they, they, they get the chief priests, get the, get the temple guard to sucker punch uh, Peter and John and take them into captivity, but it doesn't work because another 5,000 come to, come to faith. And then they bring them back thinking that a night in prison would shut them up, but they go big. They raise the risk. They're in the same court that sentenced Jesus to death between, before some of the same people who condemned him. And what do they do? They say, you need this very Jesus Christ. Every stone you've rejected The very one is the one you need to build your faith, your life, your hope, your eternity on. And if you don't, you're lost. And that's where we are. Stop the clock. We're at Acts 4.13. God is glorified. The church is growing. Jesus has true to his word. He has sent his spirit. He has emboldened his followers. These are guys who ran away from him, who were embarrassed of him, who couldn't stay at the foot of the cross. John did. Peter, Peter, who knows where Peter was. And now they are bold. They are bold. And the best thing they can think of is bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ Acts 4.13, let's take a look. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray, we'll get right to work. Father, what a, what a joy It is to be with your people, in your presence, in your word. Lord, we ask that we would see Jesus and him only. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, that you would banish him from this place. Lord, that you would open eyes, open hearts, open minds, and that you would reveal yourself. And Lord, when that happens, we change. We're forgiven, we're restored. Lord, I plead with you for that. Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins and I wish they were not so many. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fall, to well up and fill all of us. And Lord, that you would receive all the glory, all the credit, all the fame, all the praise for you deserve it. And Lord, we want want to be the people that you long to have that you're making us to be. I thank you. I worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's, uh, let's unpack what we've just taken a look at. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who's they? Who's they? This is the spiritual, self-righteous, religious, stuffy, religious elite. These are the scribes, the chief priests, the uh, 
Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, it tells us, they were, they were there. They were the in crowd. They were the in crowd. They had what it took in their minds. They were the ones who God approved of. They knew what God wanted. It was them. And everybody else who wasn't them was on the outside. Okay? Who does this sound like? Who does this sound like? The American Evangelical Church. We're the in crowd. Everybody who doesn't do Jesus the way we do Jesus, kind of on the outside. The Bible is condemning this. We ought not be this. They were that. I'm not saying we throw out scripture. I'm not saying, that, but we're not the gatekeepers of the kingdom. You know, if, if the kingdom was a Hollywood nightclub, we're not the bouncer who stands there and says, yeah, you're beautiful. Yeah, you're in. Yeah, you're in. Who are you? No, you're out. But isn't that what we like to do? Oh, he's not saved. She, she knows Jesus. You know who knows who knows Jesus? Jesus. Okay? So those of us who are so secure that we're the in crowd and everybody else is on the outside, we need to just have a dose of humility because these folks didn't have it. They didn't have it. The chief priests, the scribes, the rulers, the elders. They were in the temple all the time. Every time the, the doors were open, they were there. They were there. They had it dialed in. Everybody else was on the outside. Oh, it's too bad that Jesus only loves us. <laughs> Let's not be like that. So who are they? They are the religious elite. And they just got totally schooled by who? Peter and John. What does the text say they were? Uneducated, common men. They just got donkey stomped in the highest spiritual sense by people that they were sure were on the outside. They didn't have all the things that they trusted in for their own righteousness. If these guys are in, what does that mean about us? They didn't have seminary training. They didn't have debate training. They didn't have all of this but they recognized what about them? That they had been with Jesus. And they're sitting back there. They're sitting like, girlfriend, that didn't just happen. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, jump back. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> what Peter and John had that the scribes and the Sadducees and the rulers and the elders did not have was a fully surrendered heart to the person, the spirit, the truth, the life of Jesus Christ. That's what they had. And it made all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. The title of this message is this. We're gonna keep coming back to it. Jesus chooses losers. Jesus chooses losers. Now, this is a good message. This is comforting if you know you're a loser. 
This is irritating if you see yourself as having it all together, as being in the in crowd, of having it all dialed in. And this, my friends, is, is one of the big points of contrast. This keeps so many people from the foot of the cross. So many people from the foot of the cross. The scribes and the Pharisees were looking at John and Peter and saying, you are a loser. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't pick my, I didn't pick my team based on who had the credentials. I didn't base my team on who had the right clothing. I didn't base my team on who had the degrees. I based my team on who needed healing, of who needed forgiveness, of who would come to me broken and spent and knowing they didn't have what it takes. Jesus chooses losers. Just a new thing? No way. No way. It's not a new thing. This is not a new message. Why does Jesus choose losers? It's, it's not as if he has this meeting in heaven. It's Jesus. It's the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And they're getting together like, like a college that's having enrollment problems. You know, people aren't going to church. They're not reading their Bibles. And the believers are slipping. Our numbers are bad. What are we going to do? What are we gonna, okay, what if we lower the bar? What if we really lower the bar? We let everybody in and we go after the losers. Okay, we're going to have scholarships for those who have no choices. Because we got, we got a little bit of a PR problem. we got to get our numbers up. We're going to go after the losers. We'll take a page from network marketing. That's what we'll do. No, they didn't do that. Why does Jesus choose losers? Well, it's all he's got to pick from. Bible's pretty clear for all of us. You, me, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's the standard, the glory of God, the perfection of God, the holiness of God. And those of you who spent any time with me know I have fallen short. This church thing has become, for too many people, a place where we scrub ourselves up and look like we got it all together. And the people outside, the people who are far from Christ, know we don't. This is a place, like an AA meeting, where we can come together and say, I am Tom, and I'm a loser. I'm broken. I do not have it all together. But this one thing I know, there is God. His name is Jesus. And he came and lived the life that I could not live. And he died the death that I deserved. 
And because of that, he wants to live in me even when I hate me because of what I know about me. And he says, I'm bigger than that. My forgiveness is bigger than your biggest loss. My win is big enough. You're a loser, Tom. And I'm picking you out of the lineup first because this is how I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm gonna take the most broken, the most wrecked, the most diseased, the most disenfranchised, the most marginalized, the most rejected. And I'm going to bless you and forgive you. And I'm going to work in you to change you and make you look just like me. It's not because I don't have any choices. It's not that this is a new plan. Jesus chooses losers. It was always the plan. It was always the plan for God's glory to use what people considered losers, rejects, disqualified. Disqualified. He sent this message. Turn to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew 1. We're going we're gonna to look real quick there. Man, have we been together that long? Because when I'm with you and we're in the word, it just goes so fast. Forgive me. Okay, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. We start the New Testament with a genealogy, with Jesus' family tree. And Jesus comes from an earthly dysfunctional family. Puts the fun back in dysfunctional, doesn't it? Okay, 1.1. One, one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, David, yes, a man after God's own heart, a voyeur, a stalker, an adulterer, one would say a rapist, and a murderer, okay? Abraham, Abraham, great man of faith, yes, had a little bit of a problem telling the truth. <laughs> Introduced his wife several times as his sister. Married men, if you ever are in public and you have difficulty owning the fact that your wife is your wife, I cannot help you. <laughs> Things are gonna go very very badly for you. <laughs> Abraham. Verse two, it gets better. Who's in the family line? Jacob. Jacob, a noted deceiver. Again, having trouble really putting forward the truth sometimes. Verse five, take a look at this. Solomon was a father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab. This is one of the few places in the Bible that she doesn't use her title, Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Now, you're at a family gathering, you're at a family gathering, and, and, and like your mom preps you, we don't talk about the cousin who works at Hooters, we don't do that, it upsets people. 
The Bible lays it right out there. Rahab the harlot. She can't shake this title. It's all over the place. Hebrew, James. She's just laying it right out there. Part of Jesus' genealogy. Family tree. Get this, we'll, and then we'll go. Verse six, Jesse, the father of David the king. Now I love the way Matthew unpacks this. And David was the father of Solomon. And he, by the wife of Uriah. Just in case we forget. Right? Okay, so he's an adulterer. And he beds down with Bathsheba, right? And then he kills Uriah. You remember David. That's what he's saying. Just in case we forget. Uriah was a close friend and a devoted employee and a soldier killed him. Put a hit out on him. Jesus' family tree. Earthly. Jesus chooses losers. It's always part of the plan, still is. Got a little bit of a quiz for you. Who would Jesus pick first? Take a look at this picture. Some of your kids are probably asking you, is that Tom? (laughs) No, my friends, it's not. It's not. That's mean. That's mean that you laugh that much. In tights, I, yeah, I could pull that off. <laughs> all the strength, all the ability, all the power. Does Jesus choose Superman first? That's, question, that's answer A. The second one. Your children are again asking, is this Tom? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Does Jesus choose the beautiful? or the wise, or the smart, or those who who the world bows down to. That's option B. Or does Jesus choose C? (laughs) Peter Griffin, Homer Simpson, losers. (laughs) The answer is C. We're going to unpack why that is. But if Jesus can redeem a lost world, rebuild humanity, recreate people into the image that he originally created them to be, if he can forgive sin and usher into his kingdom in this broken world, and he could do it with the likes of these guys, he is the only one who gets credit for it. Go back to A. Go back to A. How much are we like this guy? Well, Jesus is real lucky to have me in the family. I got lots of gifts. I could do a lot of things. I'm pretty cool. Do you see Jesus saying, yeah, I I formed Carbon Peak like this. I hold the stars in the sky. Yeah, but this guy could bench press a bus. Yeah, I really need that. <laughs> Jesus needs me? No. It's a gift that he has invited me and you 
to be used by him to pour his spirit through. Number two, number two. He made every beautiful thing you've ever seen and many more that would blow your mind that you won't see this side of glory. Ever seen the images from the Hubble telescope? He doesn't need somebody with chiseled features and a cleft chin. He's got all the beauty and smarts he could ever need. Number three, in grace and mercy, he has chosen the most simple, the most foolish, the most broken in order to show his incredible mercy, his incredible glory. Look at the apostles. They smelled like fish. They had two brothers who were there. They just wanted to show off, man. Jesus, they weren't nice to you. You want us to call down lightning bolts on these? Man, it's amazing. He wasn't just slapping them silly. All the time. All the time. And all the people that the world applauds, all the people that the world applauds, at that time, the scribes, the rulers, the elders, the chief priests, They didn't get it. They were too busy being winners to know their brokenness and only the losers participate in God's win. Jesus chooses losers. Look at Hollywood. Look at Hollywood. We had Tom Cruise up there. Then Kabbalah and Scientology, they get all the talented people. They get all the beautiful people. Who do we get? Stephen Baldwin. We have Stephen Baldwin. Here's, but if Jesus can use Stephen Baldwin, nobody's going to give the credit to Stephen Baldwin. Nobody's going to give the fame and the glory to Stephen Baldwin. They saw common, everyday, uneducated, unpolished men And they were amazed. Why does Jesus not need Superman? Why does Jesus not need the looks of Tom Cruise or the brilliance of some Nobel Prize winner or 4.0 student? Because he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The charge he has given us to go to the ends of the earth and bring a glorious message that we had nothing to do with to redeem a lost world, lost people whom he loves by my spirit. And we can't be full of ourselves and full of the spirit at the same time. John the Baptist had it right. I must become less. And he must become greater and greater and greater. Jesus chooses losers. Thank God. Thank God. Because if he didn't, 
I'd still be standing against the wall waiting to be chosen. Jesus chose me. Jesus chooses you. And if Jesus chooses losers, let's get in the loser's line. First Corinthians. I want to take a look at Paul is writing to a church where some of the people think they're all that. Some of the people getting all puffed up thinking they're all that when it's all about Jesus. Just like when, when we were talking when you came in, this is not our church. This is Jesus' church. This is not our ministry. This is his ministry. We don't give to our budget. We give to his kingdom. It's all about him. Pick it up in 26. Paul is writing, for considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He's not trying, as so many organizations do, as so many churches do, to convince everybody that they're so wonderful, that they're so great, that they're so wonderful. He's not pulling a, a Mr. Rogers on them. He's saying, let's get it straight, guys. Let's look in the mirror. We're mutts, Okay? We're not purebreds, most of us. We're not impressive guys. But we have an impressive Savior. It's all about Him. And if we're all into ourselves, we can't be all about Him. If we're all into, we're gonna be, we're gonna, we're gonna have Jesus as part of our lives, but our lives are going pretty good. So you're going to be like, like a satellite part some of the week, some of the time, okay? No. He's looking for people who are bankrupt, who are bankrupt morally, spiritually, socially, every way to be totally, completely surrendered, whose only hope is the risen, living Christ. And if that's you, this is the church for you. Because this is the place where we come together and we say, no more pretending. No more pretending. The oldest to the youngest, the poorest to the richest, the best dressed to the worst. We're all broken. But Jesus... We can be with Jesus. God bless you. 27, look at God's choices. But God chose, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. I want to take a look at the things that are not. He uses the things that are not. What does that mean? Well, how many people have come and said, I am not. I am not. I am not a leader enough to lead a small group. I am not confident enough to love somebody I don't know very well in the way that Jesus did. I'm not smart enough to, to lead a Bible study. I am not good enough to be active in the church. I am, 
He uses the things that are not because in Christ you are because he is. And it goes in to make this very point, verse 30, and because, um, oh, we skipped over uh, 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God will not share his glory with anything or anybody. So if you're glorying in who you are, even in the gifts that he has given you, do you know your spiritual gifts can become an idol? If you worship them, if you hold them in higher regard. I've heard people say, you know, I, 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 I overhear when, when come in and, and some parents say, um, you know, I really wish you wouldn't have worn that torn shirt. You say, God's lucky to have me there. It doesn't matter what I wear. I would say it doesn't matter what you wear, but you're lucky. I'm lucky that he's picked us, that he's chosen us, that he's chosen us. And because of him, because of Jesus, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, that being made into the image of Christ, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in what? In the Lord, the cross of Jesus looks like the biggest loss of all time. It is the greatest victory that has ever been won in all of creation, in all of history, and it is for the losers so that his victory might become ours. And the winners will remain on the outside and Christ's heart breaks for them as they say, what about me? And he says, what about me? This is the place for losers to go out, to be filled with the glory, the forgiveness, the spirit of Christ, to go and say, my brother, my sister, I am broken like you, but I know one. I know Jesus let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you what he wants to do for you. You're his favorite kind of people. Rejected, marginalized, addicted, broken. You're the ones he wants to use to build his kingdom. That's the good news. That's what we're supposed to be about. We can't be full of ourselves and full of him. We can't make a name for ourselves and make a name for him. We must become less. It's all about Jesus. Whatever you're most proud of, I ask you to lay it down. Lay it down. Because if it's not Jesus and him crucified, risen and glorified, you have an idol. Be happy to be a loser for Christ. That's who he chooses. That's who he uses. That's who he glorifies. And that's how he receives glory. Okay. It's time we just came straight and said the only thing we can bring to our salvation and sanctification 
is our sin that needs to be saved and our surrender. If you're bringing him anything other than that, thinking you're contributing to the equation, we're misguided. We're misled. And Jesus wants that too much for us. So, so he wants to, to bring us to the place where he can restore us and fill us with joy in his presence. Four takeaways real quick, real quick. The second part of the verse, well, we'll get to that in a second. First, take away from Acts. We'll read the verse again, just so you have it in your mind. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. First takeaway is that if we're losers and we see that, it will change the way we see other believers. If you're religious and comfortable in your own righteousness, in your own history of serving and attending church, the titles you've held, and you look down on others spiritually and morally because they're too young, because they have a tattoo, because they haven't been to seminary, because they don't vote Republican, because they don't have money, because they don't tuck in their shirts, because they don't look like J. Crew models or dress preppy, then you're missing some of the very people that Jesus chooses to use most mightily and change the world. Because Jesus doesn't give a lick about our preferences or the narrow definitions that we place on what a follower of Jesus Christ should look like. He'll use who he'll use. And that judgmental attitude will ensure that he will not use us. We need to repent of our righteousness this morning. Maybe you're on the flip side of that. Maybe you're a young person and you're hip and you're cool and you look down on others spiritually because they don't wear Tom's shoes or even know what Tom's shoes are. Because they didn't vote for Obama and they don't dress like they're poor when everybody knows that mommy and daddy have money. And they've never been on a mission trip or they've never done freestyle worship. So they must not be followers of Jesus Christ, not the way we follow Jesus Christ. Then you need to repent of your coolness this morning because it's keeping you from being the loser that Jesus can choose and that Jesus can use. This needs to be a multi-generational body. I want people to walk in here and say, what do these people have in common? What's going on? I see a guy who's all tatted out and his hair is doing things that God never intended hair to do. And he's sitting next to Helen. And they're loving on each other. What do these people have in common? The risen Christ who brings together all generations, all nations, all tribes, all people, all tongues, all styles, all losers. Number two, here's the takeaway. If we're losers for Jesus, it will change the way we see those who are far from Jesus. 
If Jesus is calling the unpopular and the marginalized and the rejected and the addicted and the smelly and the weird and the, and the broken, then why are, are these types of people, the people that historically, those who follow Jesus Christ, those who are part of the church, have tried to put as much distance between them and the church? If Jesus is calling losers, why do we try to make ourselves Superman and Tom Cruise and distance ourselves from the Peter Griffins of the world? We ought to be doing the opposite. Wherever you go, the high school, the, minis, the middle school, your, the college, your workplace, your home, your neighborhood, there is a pecking order. Your family, there is a pecking order from the most beautiful, the most favorite, the most talented to the worst. Run to the worst because that's where Jesus is. That's who he's after. He's gonna use the unlovely to show his loveliness. He's going to redeem and change and restore and revive those who are most broken to show those who don't believe they're broken at all his glory. I don't ever want to hear a conversation about, well, I just wish Jesus would save this attorney or this prominent public person or this celebrity wouldn't that be great no I want people strung out on meth when they come in here yeah we got an addict yeah we got another fat guy man he hasn't taken a bath in forever great he looks totally wrecked she's been around the block six times yahoo Jesus might actually do something. And it might remind us that we have nothing on these people. The church is famous and people are not saved and reject Jesus because they feel rejected by the church and those who follow him. When if you spend any amount of time in this book, you'll know that one of the greatest offenses of Jesus were the people he hung out with and loved on. May that be true of us. When this becomes a place where you have to behave before you belong, have mercy on us. Because we're all broken. Some of us have just hung around the church so much that we stop believing it. Third takeaway, we need to allow Jesus to change us. Look what happened. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus, and that changed them. That changed them. It made them bold. Quick word to you men. No wimps allowed. No wimps allowed. That doesn't mean we're proud in ourselves. It means we're broken, but we've got an almighty risen Savior who's in us, and we should be willing to march through hell alone if it, ta if it takes that. For the people with no voice, for the people who are rejected, for the people who are poor, for the people who are alone, for the men, do it. 
Do it for your wife. Do it for your children. Do it for your girlfriend. Do it for your friends. Mount up. They were bold. They were bold, not in their own ability. Not in their own ability. But in their risen Savior. This idea that a good Christian man is this weepy, milk toast. No! Jesus wasn't that, and he made those who are with him bold. He doesn't only want to make us bold. He wants to make us in every way, man and woman, just like himself. And what this verse tells us is the spiritual truth that if we are with Jesus, he will change us. This is a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. If you are not changing now and continually, if I am not changing now and continually because I'm with Jesus, then I'm not with Jesus the way I think I'm with Jesus because he does his job very well. Thank you very much. And the more that we're with him, truly with him, totally surrendered to him, we will change. It's just just the way I am. He never called us to be just the way we are. He calls us to let him make us just the way he is. If you ain't changing, you ain't with Jesus. Don't kid yourself. It's going to be a time for response in a minute. The last thing that will change the way we see Jesus, our great God and hero, Savior, became rejected so that we could be accepted. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He emptied himself so that we could be filled. He died so that we could live. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved so that he could live within us. Go ahead. And he's willing to choose a team of losers to win the redemption of the world. If you have ever thought of yourself as a loser, Jesus has a new name for you this morning. Mine. Mine. If you spend most of your life feeling like a winner in your own strength, Jesus is calling you to be his loser so that you can live. Jesus has chosen you. Here's a question. Will you choose him? Are you willing to say all the things that I'm trusting in? All the things I'm proud of. All the things I glory in, in my flesh, in my mind, my abilities. My only boast is in Christ and what he's done for me. All I bring is my sin. All I bring is my surrender. Thank you for choosing me, Jesus.
You could be a follower of Jesus Christ and have not gotten to the point of total bankruptcy. What Superman and the beautiful people will do is try to go through life and be successful and be joyful and be filled and be fully realized, call whatever you want on their own. And then when they get into a jam, they call on God. That ain't following Jesus. That isn't advancing his kingdom. The Homer Simpsons and the Peter Griffins of the world, no, they don't stand a chance unless God intervenes at every step of the way. That's who you're called to be right now. It's a very unglorious thing. But when we do that, when we allow the Spirit to do that in us, the most glorious thing happens. Jesus comes, fills us with His Spirit. We have hope. We have joy. And He says, I want you by my side, on my team, to do my work for the people who are far from me and the people who walk with me for my glory forever. Our lives will never be the same. We've all got an opportunity to to respond. The word goes out, it's his word. Mine. If you forget everything I said, don't forget the word of God. Jesus chooses losers. Today's your chance to be his loser so you can share in his victory. Today's the day to repent of spiritually looking down on others, being the in crowd. Yeah? Nice to meet you, Phyllis. My name's Tom. I'm a loser too. God bless you, my sister. Jesus is the winner and his win is so much bigger than our loss. But we can't even taste it until we get to the bottom of ourselves. It's called deep repentance. It's not repenting so much of just the behavior stuff that the church is real fond of picking on. It's way deeper than that. It goes to why we do the things we do. Why do I snap at my wife? Why do I treat my kids the way I do? Why do I treat my friends the way I do? Underneath it all, it's the unsurrendered parts of me. We're going to share the Lord's Supper And in eating, there is fellowship. There are people in this church who are very wealthy. There are people who heard about that gift of meat who are saying, I hope some of that is for me because I can't afford that. There are people who have attended church their whole life, gotten real puffed up about that. And there are people who've just kind of been flirting and checking out the claims of Jesus. You're all on level ground at the cross. We all are. This is a chance for us to eat. 
somebody had to give so that we could receive. Somebody had to bleed and die so that we could live. That's Jesus. That's what we celebrate. So I ask you to use this response time. They're going to be playing some music. Pray. Surrender. I'm here. I'm standing off to the side. I'll pray with you. The altar's open. You can pray. You pray in groups. And when you feel you're ready, you come. You can come as friends. Come to the table and eat and drink. You can serve each other. When he was with his friends, he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. Take it and eat and remember me. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood. It's shed for you. Take it and drink. And when you do, remember me. It's good for us to remember who we really are and who he really is. That's where the life is. That's where the joy is. If you're like Phyllis and you're willing to be a loser for Jesus, you will taste his sweetness and his victory in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your community, in your college, like never before. Same call he's placed on us as the early followers. Go to the ends of the earth. Tell them what I've done. Tell them what I'm doing. Tell them how much I love them. Tell them that in their brokenness, I will make them whole. Let's do it. This is your chance to respond to what the Spirit has spoken to your heart. Take that time. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I encourage you to do it. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll pray with you. You can come up. We have uh, any elders here with us? Yeah. Phyllis, Alita, if you'd come after you receive and stay up here in case some ladies would feel more comfortable praying with you. The altar's open. Use it. I'm busted. But in Christ, I'm whole. God bless you. Let's respond.